In the 2020 elections in North Carolina, Ricky Hurtado made history as the first Democrat Latino to be elected to the State House of Representatives. I have the first day of school feels <laughs> as we think about being able to enter the new year and the new session in community with other people who share your beliefs and share your vision for North Carolina, which, you know, includes all of us, including Latinos, right? For so many people, it isn't just about one country. Their identity doesn't just belong in America, but Las Americas. For many years, I have felt leading up to this moment, no soy ni de aquí or ni de allá. Bienvenidos, everyone, to Dreaming Las Américas, a special from Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm David Miller. Y yo soy Patricia Serrano. We are journalists here in Asheville, North Carolina. This story is about what it means and what it takes to represent. Presentamos El Representante. It's 1988 in Hollywood, California. Rick Rutado's parents, Alex and Dalila, are raising a family in a barrio Latino. Here's Alex. A lot of Latinos, you know, it makes you feel like at home, that, that, that you belong there because of the language. Eight years earlier, they fled El Salvador during La Guerra Civil, which we'll get to in a little bit. But even though they were outsiders, in L.A. they had a strong community around them. Y en ese barrio latino nació el protagonista de nuestra historia. Ricky was a bright, happy baby, un bebé sonriente. But as a boy, he developed severe asthma and allergies. Here's Ricky remembering his first years. Cuando era niño tenía asma, entonces that really painted a lot of my childhood experiences of what I could and could not do. Ricky was allergic to dust, to citrus, to insects, to basically everything. He couldn't play outside or even sleep well. Mi abuelita would always take me to the clinic every day. I had to get two shots. And most nights I was actually sleeping on a respirator. Ricky got sicker and sicker. And so the pollution in Los Angeles was really killing me literally for a while. That was one of the main motivators that uh, you know, my parents were like, yeah, and the podemos hacer esto. And they felt like they had to really, you know, uproot our lives. On Labor Day weekend, 1996, the family packed into their Oldsmobile station wagon. They hauled a small trailer with just their clothes, the stereo, TV, and kitchen stuff. This move made Ricky vulnerable in a way he never felt before. And so we were pretty well integrated into the, the community there in terms of our panaderias and, you know, the church. My parents really felt at home in Los Angeles. So you're just another Salvadoran family. <laughs> it feels like a Salvadoran city. I didn't begin to really feel different or, or really know me like Latinidad until we moved to North Carolina. After six days, the Hurtados arrived in Sanford, a small town in Lee County, North Carolina. 
I describe my upbringing in Sanford in a small town as like, you know, a Latino household, Spanish speaking household in a black neighborhood in a pretty rural white community. Today, Sanford's population is over 25% Latino, but at the time, una familia Latina wasn't common at all. And so you can imagine when we were arriving and sort of setting roots, nobody looked like us. De a poco, the family adapted to a new life in the South. Ricky and his siblings went to la escuela in Lee County. And the good news was that Ricky's health started getting much better. Once we got here, like magic, I stopped giving him the injections and he got better and then he started to run around and play. But for all the hurtados, there was something beneath the surface. Aquí hay muchas cosas buenas, pero no se siente la libertad que uno siente en el país de uno. Como cuando uno sale de paseo y regresa a su casa, que ya sea su casa. Estuvo viendo donde anduvo, pero ya regresa a su casa, ya se siente más tranquilo. Alex likens it to that feeling you have when you come back from a trip, and it's like, ah. Oh. Home sweet home. But as an immigrant, you never fully reach that feeling. One day when Ricky was in third grade, he wore a special shirt to school. Una camiseta especial. A purple shirt and it said, Dios bendiga este hogar. Uh, God bless this home. And I remember my third grade teacher asking me, Like, what does the shirt say? And I looked at her, and honestly, I, well, first of all, I was reading it upside down, so I didn't really know what I was wearing. Uh, and so I just looked down, I remember telling her, oh, you know, no say, I don't know. Um, and she got really upset with me. She's like, you shouldn't be wearing T-shirts that you don't know what they say, or, you know, like, that's uh, what you should be doing at school. So I remember at that point feeling like, maybe I'm a little different. Another moment came for me later on in middle school. I remember where I had a crush on this girl and we were talking and, you know, we we're trying to hang out. Uh, and I remember asking her if she wanted to go to the movies with us. And she said, oh, Ricky, I'm sorry. Like, you're just another Mexican to me. Like, that, uh, you know, I would see on the side of the road. And that cut deep. Fue un golpe duro para Ricky. And it stirred up a new conflict. I began to build resentment towards my own identity and, you know, my Latinidad and, like, what it meant to be Latino in the South. This conflict también impactó en cómo Ricky veía a otros Latinos. Being Salvadoreño and not Mexicano also starting to build up some resentment towards the Mexican identity. You know, unintended consequence, right, of struggling with who you are. Ricky was one of the few kids in his school who spoke Spanish and the only one who spoke Spanish in his grade. My public identity was very much an English one because, you know, that's what they were enforcing. You know, Spanish was not necessarily a, a positive skill or attribute to, to have. My private identity very much became my private identity at home. I remember getting my first Nokia phone, <laughs> having to call my parents to pick me up from school. But, you know, knowing that I had to make the call in Spanish, you know, would kind of go hide away in the corner, calling my dad and being like, you know, hey, papi, you know, let me stop. The public Ricky was a typical American kid in high school. He was a huge Lakers fan, loved Kobe, loved hip-hop, played soccer. But the private Ricky spoke Spanish at home and was very close con sus papás. 
During middle school and throughout high school, Alex was super strict with his kids. He drilled into them how important it was to study. Si ustedes, lo único que nadie, nadie se lo puede quitar, no importa lo que pase, les digo, es el estudio. Eso nadie se lo va a quitar. Pase lo que pase. Ricky would go on to graduate at the top of his class and receive the Moorhead Kane Scholarship, which allowed him to attend UNC Chapel Hill for free. That moment for me really just transformed my life. It was a full ride where it created opportunities for me that you know I never dreamed of, never thought imaginable. And it really sort of changed the trajectory of not just my life, but my family's life as well. Ricky doesn't remember a lot of the details from those first weeks in college, but one thing really stood out. In a class, called Poverty and Pluralism with uh, Professor Peter Kaufman. And we read a book that really stayed with me uh, called Enrique's Journey, which was a book about uh, a young boy who writes La Bestia. Enrique's Journey tells the story of a boy from Honduras who makes the dangerous journey in La Bestia, a cargo train from Central America through Mexico. And I think that was the first time where I began to really think more critically about my parents' journey. Uh, I don't think we really talked about my parents fleeing the Civil War in El Salvador growing up. Let's talk a bit now about Ricky's dad, Alex. He grew up in El Salvador in the 1960s and 70s. He remembers his childhood with nostalgia, con mucho cariño. Para mí, la, la mejor época de mi vida ha sido allá en El Salvador. Alex didn't have to worry about work, only going to school, studying, and playing football. Yo no me tenía que preocupar por trabajar, sino que simplemente ir a la escuela. A mí me gustaba mucho el fútbol, entonces esa era la, la diversión más grande que yo tenía. Alex called this time la mejor época de mi vida. He fell in love with Ricky's mom, Dalila, and they were looking forward to college. Now, we have to dig into a bit of political history, which is complicated and dark. But stay with us, because it's important to understand. Like so many places across Latin America, El Salvador suffered decades of inequality. At the end of the 70s, it exploded into a civil war. On one side was El Ejército Nacional, the National Army. And on the other side were guerrillas, revolutionaries of the left. America's economy and well-being are at stake. Right now in El Salvador, Cuban-supported aggression has forced more than 400,000 men, women and children to flee their homes. What we see in El Salvador is an attempt to destabilize the entire region and eventually move chaos and anarchy toward the American border. This was President Ronald Reagan addressing the nation in 1984. It was the Cold War era, a time when U.S. foreign policy was always about fighting the spread of communism. But what was kept secret was how the CIA backed military regimes with weapons, communication, and training. This happened in El Salvador, in Chile, in Argentina, all across Latin America. These regimes overthrew democratically elected leaders and imposed brutal military dictatorships on the people. There were mass detentions, torture, and executions. Families lived in terror that loved ones might be disappeared. 
it forced people like Alice and Dalila into the hardest moment of their lives. They were deeply in love, planning for the future. But civil war was closing in all around them. Dalila's family decided to flee the country. If Alice wanted to stay with her, he had to say goodbye to his own family. Okay. Un momento. Sí. Eh, fue, fue fuerte. Yo, yo tenía... Acababa de cumplir 20 años cuando, cuando salí ella y era la primera, la primera vez que que yo me iba a separar de, de mi familia. Siempre pues yo todavía estaba estudiando en, en la universidad. Entonces, este fue súper muy difícil. Súper difícil. Alex chose to leave, to leave his family behind. And early one February morning, Alex joined Dalila and her family for a dangerous journey to the U.S. Salimos temprano en la mañana. En la mañana, en una excursión que salía de El Salvador para México. Esa fue y pues el momento en que en que me despedí de mi hermana, de mi hermano, de mi abuela, de mi mamá y mi papá y ya. Alex, Dalila, and her family rode a bus 30 hours to Mexico City. From there, the plan was to get to Tijuana and then. At the border there in Tijuana, there are helicopters flying all the time. And, and in lights, we had to run and just move until we got into uh, San Isidro. In San Isidro, they also had to keep moving so they wouldn't get stopped by anyone. The coyote had a stolen car. Alex and Dalila hid in the trunk. The driver said if he popped the trunk, they should run toward the woods and hide. There is one last checkpoint on the highway going to LA where they have these lights, like traffic lights, and the lights are green, the traffic is just flowing. And then we were coming. Now they just needed the light at the checkpoint to be green. Like a mile before getting to the lights, they turned red. That meant that all traffic had to stop. And then what they did is they just stopped the car on the side of the road, and then they opened the, the, the trunk and we got out and we ran across the, the freeway. Then we just jump over the fence and go into the other side, into the woods. And, and, and we stay in there all night. Alex and Dalila spent their first night in the U.S. beside the freeway, escondidos. All night. We were just under the bushes in the woods, waiting for them to leave. The next day, they made it to Los Angeles. From the end of the 70s and throughout the 80s, 
Over a half a million Salvadoreños immigrated to the U.S. for the same reason as Alex and Dalila, to escape war and violence, para dejar la guerra atrás. Alex never told this story to the kids growing up. Uh, that just wasn't something that my parents shared. It wasn't something that we asked about. Um, and I think in college, I just became really curious. Like, ¿qué les pasó a ellos? You know, ¿Qué, ¿qué hicieron? ¿Dónde fueron? You know, I didn't know any of that. Now, reading the book, Enrique's journey, algo cambió para siempre. Enrique's journey for me started my own journey, right? And, you know, my name is Ricardo, right? So I guess you can call it Ricardo's journey. <laughs> I think that was the moment for me where I went from identifying my past experiences and my roots as strengths and not weaknesses, and really owning your parents' story as, as your own. After four years at Chapel Hill, Ricky went on to graduate school. He got another scholarship, this time to Princeton, and after he completed his master's in public affairs, he decided to come back to North Carolina and reconnect with La Comunidad Latina. One night, Ricky was on a meeting. He was impressed, un poco encantado, with a young woman presenting. The young woman, Jasmine Garcia Rico, was 13 when her family moved from Mexico to Alamance County, North Carolina. She'd lived more than a decade in North Carolina, but as a DACA recipient or dreamer, she was still forced to pay out-of-state tuition. And so that night when Ricky first saw her, she was advocating for this out-of-state tuition rule to change. Over the next few months, Ricky and Jasmine fell in love. Jasmine was finishing grad school and they had an important decision to make. Where are we going to go after graduation? I was uh, really leaning to uh, us moving to Burlington. And I feel like at the same time, at the end of 2016, that's when we found out that Trump was going to be president. And then we knew that a lot was at stake. Burlington is in Alamance County, North Carolina. It's where Jasmine grew up. And it's also very close to Lee County, where Ricky grew up. At this moment in their lives, Ricky and Jasmine could have gone anywhere. They were young professionals. La vida recién empieza. But with Trump's election, there was this buildup of fear in the Latin community. And that feeling of community in need pulled Ricky and Jasmine back to Alamance County. Cerca de la comunidad donde crecieron. One day they were grabbing breakfast at a local diner. In the booth next to them was another couple. The husband and Enrique started chatting just because of something that he was wearing on his hat. Ricky and the man talked for a while. You know, based on just one conversation, and this person told Ricky, have you thought about running for office? Ricky and Jasmine kept having encounters like this. Poco a poco, they came to a realization. Ricky was going to run. Still, they knew what they were getting themselves into. Over the last four years, and very much over the last, few decades, you very much have seen this energy in this community. Uh, one of the things I'll never forget, a mentor and former professor of mine who is one of the main reasons I moved back to North Carolina after grad school. He's also Latino, Peruano, 
the soccer coach in the county neighboring ours has always just sort of looked out and thinking about how we invest in young Latino leaders in North Carolina. I remember when I first told them about moving to Alamance County and he just sort of looked at me and said, you know the devil lives in Alamance County, right? One Sunday, deep into Ricky's campaign, a bunch of pickup trucks started rolling through Alamance. It was a few weeks before the election. There was a, a white power rally in conjunction with, with a lot of Republican officials here in Alamance County where folks essentially had a parade across town. You know, they were yelling the N-word at bystanders. They were flashing the white power sign. It got really ugly really quickly. But with the election just weeks away, Ricky was determinado. Su campaña had gotten much interest and endorsements. For example... Hi, I'm United States Senator Cory Booker. And I'm Rosario Dawson. And we are here together to support Ricky Hortado, who is running in North Carolina District 63. In the legislature, he will fight to fully fund public schools. He will fight to expand access to health care. He will bring economic security to working families and so much more. The morning of election day, Ricky and Jasmine wake up early. We brought uh, Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee to, to people all around. And we share with everyone, Democrats and Republicans, there were people in, in some precincts where, you know, it was very cold and it was only two people greeting, one one Dem and one Republican, and we shared donuts with everybody. Jasmine felt super optimistic. She kept telling Ricky, there is nothing you can lose. That night, Ricky's campaign gathered around the TV to watch the results. It took two days to count the ballots, and it was close. But with 400 more votes than the Republican incumbent, Ricky won. My family was paying attention during the campaign, and they completely understand that my campaign and now my rise as a representative, a politician in North Carolina, is directly tied to our story as a family. This is the natural next step in terms of everything I've been working for, everything they've sacrificed for me to get an education and now pass on those lessons and those opportunities to more people. The House will come to order. Members elect for the 2021 House of Representatives, please occupy the seats to which you have been assigned. Visitors, that historic day when Ricky was sworn in, his parents were there, and that's when they all really took it in. Welcome to those who are assembled here today and to all those who are watching or listening. We are very proud of him and, you know, the way he handled things. You know, this is the first time that we are experiencing something like this. It's, it's just overwhelming. Oh, my God. I've been working on making sure that they do what they want to do for them to have a good life. 
Alex se emocionó muchísimo. Es súper emocionante. He tenido... Súper bueno. Simplemente no se puede escribir. La única forma es de vivirlo. Y si yo ahorita yo me puedo morir mañana, es lo mismo feliz. It's so emotional, says Alex. I could die tomorrow and I'd be a happy man. And that is our story hoy in Dreamless Americas. Since being sworn in, el representante Ricky Hurtado has introduced legislation to give dreamers in-state tuition in North Carolina. He's also sponsored many other bills around immigration reform, environmental protection, and education. Jasmine Garcia Rico became the first director of Hispanics, Latinx Policy and Strategy at the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Alex and Delila have since become U.S. citizens. Dreaming Las Americas was written and produced by Patricia Serrano and David Miller. Our all-star editorial director is Catherine Comp. Original music and audio production by David Miller. Dreaming Las Americas was a special production of Blue Ridge Public Radio. Gracias por escuchar. <laughs>